National wildlife refuges hold a lot of allure, especially when they have a driving auto tour. <laughs> they sure do. It makes it a heck of a lot easier when you can drive it. Um, thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. He's Eric, and I'm Hannah. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on birding topics. We are definitely not experts, and anything that we discuss that might be controversial, we want you to remember their own opinions, and they might be different from yours. So, it's uh, the beginning of November, and... The storm season has started in Oregon, (laughs) on the Oregon coast at least. Uh, We had a fantastic October. It was beautiful almost every day, and warm. I think three days of rain total, maybe. And there were a couple days where it was like hotter than summer temperatures. Yeah, seriously. It was... Very warm. <laughs> but then uh, we fell back an hour, you know, here in Oregon we do that. And jumped ahead into winter. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I like that. Um, so before we talk about our adventure, we have some news, like usual. Uh, my first thing that I want to talk about is I I was stupid and I got stuck on this internet fight that I'm upset about and mad that I, I participated in, but... Um, Eric is part of this eBird discussion community on Facebook and mm-hmm. like I, I'm on it, but I don't really ever look at it. And then I saw somebody comment on something and he's, the person said something about people who are IDing, you know, or have trouble IDing things are idiots. And like, I was just in a like anti-bullying, like, you know, mindset. And I was like, why are we calling each other idiots? Oh my gosh. Like, Let's all be adults. And so I commented something about, like, you know, that's not really appropriate. And then they commented back and basically just doubled down on being a jerk. Yeah. About Some people are jerks. About, like, well, you know, if they they are, uh, you know, big birder and they still have trouble IDing these things, then they are idiots. Well, it was like, if they, if they refuse to acknowledge evidence, then they're idiots. And then, like, he called me out for, like, not knowing what I was talking about in the conversation. And, I mean, I, I was just trying to get somebody to, like, give them an opportunity to be a nice person. And I know I'm not, I haven't always been a nice person, you know. I've had opportunities that I could have taken the higher road and I didn't. Well, you usually bully me. <laughs> I just limit it to you. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, we're all going through a tough time right now. And, you know, if somebody wants to be a birder, I feel like, you know, we should be nice to each other. <laughs> So this is my plea to you guys. Just, like, choose the high road and be a nice person. And, you know, if somebody's, like, getting into birding and maybe they're having trouble with IDs, like, don't just call people idiots. Like, that's not cool. I looked at the guy's Facebook. He's 20, so, I mean, maybe just immature. I don't know. But. Yeah. Well, it's everyone matures at different rates, and so, well. We'll see. We'll, we'll see in 10 years if, if this guy's still calling everyone idiots. I'm just frustrated. <laughs> you know, that I'd find somebody that, like, was like, they're idiots. And then I say, hey, let's be nice. And then they just double down and, like, you're an idiot, too. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I'm sorry I said anything in the first place. Well, it's the internet. People, you can, you can hide behind anonymity on the internet and just be the biggest jerk that you're not actually. But see, that's the and thing. Then, is like, that you can double down on everything I, and be extra, extra jerky. It's just the thing, though, <laughs> that I have mutual friends with this guy. And it's just really disappointing that somebody that I'm, you know, we have mutual friends with would just be so disappointing. Yeah. Well. So my whole thing is be <laughs> nice to each other. Like, it's, it's a hard world. We don't have to be rude. 
So, changing gears, the <laughs> Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival is coming up. It's uh, all online this year. Yep, it's going to be the 11th through the 13th of November, so check like it next out. next week. Yes, <laughs> and I think we'll be doing a couple things. We're still kind of trying to figure out um, what exactly that is, but uh, you might see Hannah and Eric on it. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be fun. I mean, we won't we won't go down there, we won't get... I'm going to miss we're my gonna chocolate We're going to be lifers, we're going to miss our green jays and all that stuff, but I'll, I'll definitely be looking at pictures on eBird, like... Scrolling through them as as we're as we're listening to lectures and as we're participating in things, just like okay, I'll pretend like I'm there. Maybe I'll play some grackles, like like <laughs> grackle calls on 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 uh, repeat. Oh, that, that reminds me. The other day that uh, uh, Stereo Yano Grande they posted a a live thing with um, that was like partnered with Edinburgh's Scenic Wetlands. Oh, about spiders. About the spiders, and the whole time the grackles are calling, and every once in a while a green jay you can hear in the background. So it's like, oh, man, I wish. I wish I could be there. <laughs> just, just listening to that, it was. Uh, Be- Becky had some fantastic information, but it was also kind of distracting with wishing that I was down in the valley birding. <laughs> it's okay. Someday we will again. Yeah, someday. Um, so the other thing, we saw a couple reportings of snowy owls in Washington State, which um, are like three hours north of us. So yeah. we're like, uh, fingers crossed, this could be the year they could be back again. Yeah, so we're hoping that you know maybe there'll be an eruption of snowy owls, or at least one close enough and consistently enough that we'll be able to go see one. So. Yeah, I guess the one up in Seattle, it's uh, it's hopping around. People are people are chasing it, and it's kind of from neighborhood to neighborhood. No, no solid. Like, this is where it's hanging out. But it also doesn't yet. seem to be, like, every single day people are seeing it. It's, like, every couple days people yeah. are seeing it or them or who knows or how many. Or who knows how many there are. Yeah, there could be there could be hundreds flying around Seattle right now. So keep your eye out because <laughs> you might have a snowy owl sighting in your neck of the woods if you're in a place where they are eruptive. So there's it, that. Or, or maybe you live far enough north that you just see them all the time. They're anyways. just in your front yard anyways. Yeah. If so, just invite us to your house. We won't bother you. We just want to see the owl. And we won't bother the owl too. We have we have optics. We'll look at it from a distance. We'll give you an, a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> so this year also in, in bird news, because you know this, we don't usually talk about bird news on this bird podcast, but... <laughs> Hannah's giving me a weird look. I don't um, understand what he's going to do. I, I don't know. Um, pine siskins and grosbeak, evening grosbeaks, they are eruptive <laughs> like crazy this year. There are like giant numbers. We've got pine siskins by the hundreds down in uh, Tillamook County, just south of us, in Clatsop County here, all across basically the entire United States. Pine siskins in giant numbers, and evening grosbeaks are even in significant numbers. Mostly the East Coast or in the Midwest are getting. Those giant numbers of gross beaks, but uh, but we're we're still seeing fair numbers over here. I'd like to see. So those are like two species that you know I can see them being eruptive, but mm-hmm. I don't like usually think of them like together as being eruptive. I'd like to see like just two random species that are are semi common, you know, being considered eruptive, like American robin. Well, no, when we were in the valley, we had an American yeah. robin eruption. Yeah. What am I thinking about? Like, um, let's see. You've got you've got the the wren tit and the and the house finch eruption. Well, I was thinking like <laughs> red wing and blackbirds being eruptive. It's like okay, two, sure. Two, two species that you wouldn't think would be eruptive together. So you have, you have the stellar jay and. I don't know. I don't know what else would be eruptive with the stellar jay. Western be, screech owl and western screech owl <laughs> eruption. Yeah, it's it's a crazy year. We've got some some crazy things happening. It's twenty twenty. Anything can happen. Yeah, that would be kind of exciting. Uh, 
a western screech owl eruption. We have <laughs> six of them in our backyard. I feel like everybody's been seeing northern pygmy owls recently. So That's maybe true. they're eruptive. Nobody's talking about it. Yeah, they're keeping it, keeping it on the down low. You've heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> so our top listenership for our last episode, our glacier episode, um, coming in first was Lake Stevens, Washington, and then runner-up was Atlanta, Georgia. There was another town that was pretty high in mm-hmm. the um, the listenership for that episode that had kind of a silly name to it. Or not silly. Silly. But, not silly, but like <laughs> name that would probably be difficult for me to pronounce. So I don't remember what it is. Oh, I just remember looking it. at it and I was like, those people are trying to get me. <laughs> oh, you, you guys were so close too, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So if you're from that town... If you're from just, that town, that's hard to pronounce. Just keep that one. Just keep getting more people listening to it, and then um, eventually you'll just you know stump me, because <laughs> that's what it's all about—just making me look like a fool. That's basically what uh, the podcast is about in general: just making us look like fools. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, anyways, getting on to the main part of our episode we like I said my song we are here to talk about national wildlife refuges because I just love them so much and more specifically national wildlife refuges that have auto tours Um, and you drive through something we tried to talk about a couple weeks ago but got skunked because they were all closed oh that's right So, National Wildlife Refuges are just some of my favorite birding locations in general, and they're great places to connect with nature. They're developed enough that there are some type of bathrooms, there's some sort of roads, and some, if you're lucky, a visitor center. And if not a visitor center, at least a kiosk (laughs) to, like, tell you what route you should take. (laughs) They're rugged enough that they attract a large variety of wildlife, too, Mm -hmm. so... You know, as opposed to, like, a state park or something like that that are typically geared towards people, um, National Wildlife Refuges, as we've heard before, somebody we, kept correcting we, me. We have been lectured before on this. That na- refuges are for animals and not for people. And parks are parks are for people, refuges are for animals. But some of these refuges are geared towards education and mm-hmm. interpretation and, you know, wildlife appreciation. So they, they do have them set, some of them are oriented towards educate, you know, towards people, yeah. but they're still not for people. They're not for people, but people can go to them. <laughs> and they're, they're welcome. <laughs> and much of fish and wildlife lands are geared towards hunting. Like when we were talking a couple weeks ago about um, the die-offs with duck stamp, mm-hmm. you know, that those, the funds from duck stamps are towards conservation and um, preservation of these hunting opportunities. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's always that too. So we decided for this episode to talk about auto tours and some of these national wildlife refuges. And, you know, I I can't remember if I said it in our last episode or not, but I really like an auto tour because it's a way to see a lot of the park in a short amount of time, which, um, you know, hiking is great. And I think, I think I did say this, hiking is great and everything. And I love to go on a hike, but I want to be able to see a lot of things all at once because I have a short attention span. And so refuges with auto tours, it gives you a chance to drive through much of the park, see a lot of these different things, but then a lot of times also have trails that you can, you know, go you, further you can extend into your it trip, if yeah. you'd like. These three refuges that we went to are very diverse from one another. They were in three different states and they all had auto tours and they were all, you know, protected and preserved for different reasons. And 
like Eric was saying, but he cut it. He's going to cut it out. Um, <laughs> you do get a, a pretty good variety at some of these locations. And of course, you know, the further south you go, the better your, um, your counts are going to be. But, you know, in these spots, we had 20, 30 species, you know, yeah. when we weren't there for more than like maybe an hour or two. Yeah, so you, you rack up species very very quickly. You also get to see a lot of really cool stuff, especially some of these. So the first one we went to, Kootenai National Wildlife Refuge in Idaho, it it had a big, tall dike that you drove along that you, you drive along, you can either step out of your car or there, there was a couple pullouts that you could get out and stand next to your car. But you could see for a significant distance and look down upon all the ponds that are out there. So just basically from the road, you get the majority of your bird species just right there without having to hike, without having to walk anywhere, just kind of drive along and see them. So it, they're really great for both people that really want to get out and look at birds hardcore, but also they're good for just families that want to go out and just drive. And then all of a sudden you don't have to, you don't have to have tons of optics. You don't have to have thousands of dollars invested in anything. You just go to the refuge and see wildlife. Well, and we're not experts on mobility or accessibility issues, mm -hmm. but I would think that like locations with auto tours would be good locations for, you know, people with disabilities because you mm -hmm. don't necessarily have to walk all the way around and you don't have to worry about like what kind of condition the trail is going to be in. Yeah. As and long as the road's drivable, you can access the majority of the viewpoints. But, of course, we're not experts, so yeah. we might t completely be wrong. We'd have to ask, you know, Virginia Rose or somebody with bird ability about that. Um, but anyways, we like going to these locations. And Kootenai was a really interesting site. It's um, just under 3,000 acres, and it provides a lot of different habitats for, like, moose, elk, deer, and migratory ducks. It's, um, in, it's like really far north in Idaho. It's just about 20 miles from the Canadian border. And it going was, to it, there was a sign saying the the welcome center for, um, for, for Canada. <laughs> so it's like, oh, so we're, we're almost in Canada at this point here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was established in 1964 as a migratory waterfowl, fowl refuge. So it was, you know, designated for waterfowl. And mm -hmm. once you're there, you really get that sense because like Eric said, there's a dike that's all way around and i kind of wonder if they just flood the whole thing at some point in time I, they might have maybe but at, at, at some point but yeah it's it's set up the you, you drive all the way around basically drive around the rim and then there's um, a couple parking areas that uh, have signs all up about uh where you can and can't carry a loaded gun for hunting and then um where dogs are allowed to go for retrieval and there, there are a couple different stipulation signs making sure that people are going to follow the follow the rules of the refuge, because um, it it was getting into or it is getting into um, uh, duck hunting season. So they they had all their signs up, getting ready for uh, for I guess much heavier usage than they see in the summer probably. But uh, but yeah, it was a really interesting park. It had um, about four and a half miles of auto tour. There was a handful of uh, hiking trails that you could go on, which we did not. Uh, it was kind it of was cold. cold, so we ended up not going on any of the hiking trails. So it wasn't like a huge site, yeah. um, and it was like right along a river. So you did like have the ponds inside the park, or the refuge. Sorry, I'm gonna <laughs> say that wrong. Yeah, so so the ponds were on your right hand side as you go around this loop, and then on the left hand side, you kind of look over the next dike, and you can see into the into the river or into the. There was also a creek that ran along the edge there. 
And something while we were like looking into this park a little bit more that I found on, on the Refuge website, which I probably should have known this, but I was just really surprised uh, when I was looking at it that each refuge, they offer, you know, different things. Like they offer hunting or this or that, mm -hmm. but it's considered um, the big six wildlife dependent public uses of a, a location. I, I like how you give it quotes. There's... Quotes. I quoted big six. Yeah, the, 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 the finger, the air finger quotes there <laughs> for that one, the big six. For all you people. Um, <laughs> anyway, so like... I have a, you know, I have a master's degree in, in park recreation and tourism management. And so I like love looking at like the intricacies of like parks and how they're used and refuges and, and, you know, the connection between like recreation and wildlife. And so it was just really exciting to me when I was looking into this to see that like each refuge is, de can be designated for any of these six things and to be managed for Is yeah that... to be managed okay. for and to be used for because you know not every like Tualatin National Wildlife Refuge the one that is by where we were at. Like, I don't think they have fishing there, and so they don't manage it for fishing, but that's one of the six possible okay. uses of it. So the six are hunting, fishing, wildlife observation and photography, environmental education, and interpretation. And so this is just background into the refuge system. And so those are some of the key things that they focus on. So you might go to a, a refuge site and see like hunting all over the place and be like, okay, so, you know, one of the main drivers of this refuge is hunting mm -hmm. or fishing or something like that. So that was just kind of, that was exciting when I stumbled on the, the website and I was like, oh my gosh, this all makes so much sense. And it, it helps you like focus on what this refuge is like if you're looking into it to to visit a site mm -hmm. you know what this refuge is focused on and is that really going to fit what i'm expecting out of it yeah so i was just trying to think of what was that uh the um lighthouse down in we'll call it st County? mark's st mark's national wildlife refuge yeah. i'm trying to think so that one was probably fishing and wildlife observation is probably the two big drivers there. Environmental, oh, environmental education, education. They yeah because the, they have the whole center yeah so that, that's probably the main they, i guess they probably have three i think they did allow hunting maybe maybe they didn't allow hunting at all there well anyways but it, yeah I'm, it just makes me think back to other national wildlife refuges that we've been to like yeah what can, can i figure out based on the infrastructure that we saw there like what their main driver was mm -hmm. what their what their expected usage was well and it's not park. driver in terms of funds necessarily because it's not like you pay you know for environmental education different than you would for fishing yeah that's but true. it's just to like think about how it's managed because you know they all have to have some sort of management plan um so, yeah, that was just background. I thought it was really interesting. So this site, this refuge, it offers all six of those different things. Um, they do have hardcore duck hunting, like Eric was talking about. And... Hardcore. Well, <laughs> it's, well, I mean, it, I think it was because of the season. There were so many signs up. Um, well, I, I mean, I just think that because this was designated, or this was yeah. set aside for a migratory waterfowl refuge. That's true. And so that's, you know, it's a... Well, do you remember when we were driving through all those areas and it was like waterfowl production area? Yeah, waterfowl production areas. Signs were all over the place. But it wasn't at that refuge. There was other places that yeah, said that. Yeah, I'm just saying like the northern kind of Montana and Idaho areas, that that's like a key place where they think that there's all these ducks breeding. Yeah. So, yeah. Producing ducks. <laughs> big, big duck factories. Duck machines. 
um so anyways it's it was a really interesting site uh we did have like a lot of bald eagles in that area Mm -hmm. um we saw a domestic goose on the river going into the park that it was like all white but it had kind of like a a brown gray neck Mm -hmm. and so that one really threw us for a loop yeah so that that was that that duck was actually or the goose was actually very exciting because i was like oh this looks like hannah hannah said at first like a gray lag and that's like not at all what would be here anyways so I was like, oh, this is this is really interesting. So I, I posted on iNaturalist, and that's what the consensus came down to, is domestic gray legs. So I was like, oh, cool. So I go to eBird, and they have domestic goose. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't put domestic gray leg, because it's going to be some sort of weird hybrid, I'm sure. So eBird probably doesn't want me to distinguish that it's probably mostly a gray lag, but whatever. It was, it was an exciting goose just hanging out in the river with uh, a bunch of other... Um, I think they were all Canada's. I don't think there was any cackling. There was a lot of Canada's in there. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah because I tried to pull up cackling and it came up as um, yeah. rare right in. Yeah, I was just trying to remember back. I don't I don't remember. Yeah. And we saw a deer also oh just kind gosh. of like bedded down in a culvert, like right next to the road, right which was kind of weird. I thought it was injured or something. It was looking at us and like telling us to move it along so so we did <laughs> and one of the key species that we were looking for like our whole trip we like our nemesis right now is northern shrike which i'm sure we've seen before before mm-hmm. we were like ever e-birding or really you know before we like our eyes actually opened up to what birding actually is um but northern shrike is our man our target and we were actually looking for these refuges <laughs> and these sites based on northern shrike and so like as you're driving around the refuge on this this coat on this dike there's like these little like sad trees kind of um on either side that were mm-hmm. like bare of leaves and just scoured the heck out of those things looking for a shrike <laughs> every every single post they would be like oh that's that's a post right nope nothing there oh nothing, nothing there oh nothing there <laughs> it's gotta be a shrike it's gotta be a shrike on one of these so no shrike so yeah there's not a single shrike on that day at that refuge <laughs> Um, so our next one up was Turnbull National Wildlife Refuge. Um, I didn't really have any high expectations for the site because looking at the list, it just, meh. Yeah, it's, I mean, so it's in, um, east, northeast Washington or is it central east Washington? It's like southeast. Southeast? Yeah. I don't know. It, it was, it was on the way back. So southeast Washington. Um. Near Spokane. Near Spokane, yeah. So it's, it was really, I didn't, I didn't have any high expectations at all. I wasn't really super enthused but oh my gosh this place was fantastic it, it, it's literally like one of my favorite refuges now it, it was super cool I, I it's a long drive from here but it, i would i'd love to <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to go back and there's signs all over their facebook page it's all about moose yeah and it and, was basically like everyone sees a moose here you will definitely see a moose yeah and everyone that was there which there was a lot of people there everyone was looking for moose <laughs> that's all everyone was there for um, so Turnbull is, it's about 18,000 acres of channeled scab land, which I had never heard of before, um, which is a unique habitat worldwide. And it's created through volcanism, glaciation, and some of the largest floods in geological history. So a lot of different factors create it, this kind of habitat. It sounds like it's something that's created by the end of the world. Basically. A, a scab land. But, and, then, and then it's created by volcanism and giant floods. But it's so. channeled scab land. So it's like scab land, but there's like but cuts all over but it. But they're focused. So it's, it's very focused It's hard to walk through. <laughs> yeah. So it's defi- definitely like apocalyptic sort of 
like <laughs> name for this type of habitat, but which it didn't look apocalyptic at all. It well, was... I think it, it looked like it was, but then it was like a hundred years later after oh, everything see. kind of grew up. I see. After the zombie apocalypse has kind of petered out and the volcanoes have all calmed down. Wow. Uh, then, then the plants came back and uh, t- retook the land, <laughs> retook the scab land. So the base is salt outcrops <laughs> and it has like flooded, eroded channels and then ponderosa pine trees. Yeah, it, it was very reminiscent to me, very reminiscent of uh, central and... Uh, like eastern Oregon. Central and partial partial Eastern Oregon with the ponderosa pines. But I mean, it was there's a basalt, lot of, though. Yeah, it was basalt. Well, and yeah, most of uh, most of Central Oregon's a lot of igneous, like yeah. volcanoes, like yeah. very recent volcanoes, not older volcanoes. But these it's, are old volcanoes. These are here. old. Yeah, these are hardcore. They're, <laughs> yeah. Any, anyways, <laughs> it, it was very reminiscent of Central Oregon, especially with the ponderosa pines and the um, and the grasslands and the, the grassy. Um, Short grasses. But in amongst all that, there's about 3,000 acres of wetlands, which um, are actually some of the last remaining quality habitats in that area for wild waterfowl to breed. So in amongst all of these, like, basalt outcroppings, you know, (laughs) there's, like, all these little ponds and Mm -hmm. and wetland areas, which should have a lot of ducks. We didn't see a whole ton of ducks, but we were there later in the day. Yeah, um, it was it was like right at sunset, like maybe twenty minutes before sunset when we arrived. But so. one of the interesting things I think about um, that location. So I told you all about the big six like ten minutes ago. Uh, so one of it, this this location is uh, has five of the big six, okay. and they don't focus on fishing. Is the key one that they're not all about because the ponds and the wetlands are fishless. Fishless ponds. And they don't want to introduce something like, you know, trout or anything because that's going to mess up the ecology of those wetlands, which I think it's interesting that there's so many waterfowl there and, you know, they come to breed and you have to raise babies, but yet there's no fish. I, I think that's interesting too. I also think it's Obviously, interesting aren't that they eating a whole lot of fish, yeah. but there's other ducks that do. Yeah, there's other ducks that do. I, I just think it's interesting that they had to specify on their website that they're not planning on reintrodu- or not planning on introducing fish. Well, people love fishing so much. Yeah. I'm sure they're like, um, so when are you gonna start it with trout? And they're like, okay, we're not. Stop that's asking. Not, stop asking. We'll put it on the website. Stop asking about trout. Read the management plan. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so it, it's actually, it's a beautiful location. It is really focused on environmental education. They actually have this whole field trip section on their website, which you don't see a whole lot in these refuges on their websites. Um, so if you're, you know, go to school in that area or something, you can probably arrange to have a field trip, but it is just a fascinating location. I don't know how long the driving tour was, maybe it was like seven, long. eight miles. Yeah, I think it was eight miles, I think is what the driving loop was. But it it takes you through, like, all of these just gorgeous landscapes. And every single turn, it was like, are we going to see a moose? Is there a moose? So, like I said, everyone there, like, there was a lot of cars there. And, like, it wasn't, like, bumper to bumper. But there was a significant amount of cars. We were driving very slow because we were looking for birds and moose. But um, everyone was looking for moose. We we pulled over to kind of look at one of the trails. It was, like, three-mile ponds or something like that. Three Mile Lakes. Sure. Um, there was a, it's a, it's a fairly flat trail that goes, um, basically from one end to the other, because it's a, it's like a loop and it kind of cuts the horseshoe in half. Um, a trail. What? (laughs) Cuts cuts the horseshoe in half. I don't know. It goes from one end to the other. Okay. Yeah, got it. um, Okay. 
You don't go the whole loop. But it's, it's a walking trail. It goes in between two ponds. So it's, it's, it looked like it was really interesting. So I was kind of standing. I, I walked down it a little bit trying to look for some stuff. And then a guy pulled up and he's like, oh, do, do you see moose? And I was like, uh, not yet. And then he, he like, look, he looked at me for a second. He's like, ah, that's the right answer. Not yet. All right. All right. Not yet. That's hopeful. And then he went on driving, <laughs> but that was like at the total beginning of the whole, of the whole trip around this loop. So it was, I thought it was, it was interesting. And then all of a sudden my hopes were like, oh, all right. I, I'm, I'm always going to say something hopeful, but then all of a sudden I was actually hopeful. Like, all right, we got to see a moose now. By the way, we've never seen a moose no, before. Still, still haven't seen a moose. Um, so it was it was a great refuge. We were there in the evening, uh, so we didn't have, you know, like the morning, like chickadees or whatever. Um, but, you know, saw some ring-neck ducks. There was a pond full of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, had flickers, ravens, white-breasted nuthatches, like crazy. And calling, and I got a bunch of recordings that I think are going to get used for the intro-outro of the episode, maybe. Okay. I think. I have to, I have to re-listen to them. <laughs> Um, marsh wrens, they were, you know, at all the wetlands that we went to, uh, red-winged blackbirds, of course. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting mix of species in that area. Um, the, so like it was later in the day, like I said, so I had kind of had it of driving. And so I wanted to see a moose so bad. So I was hanging my head out the window going, moose. Do, doing the moose call. I was doing as, my as moose one call. does. Yes. Moose. <laughs> and then Eric was like, said something about an owl. So then we started doing an owl call too. It was owl. You know, you know, pitching for owls. Yeah, that way. <laughs> Obviously. We're That's, so, we're fun to go with. It, was, with. it, it had been a long day. We, we didn't get there until about five o'clock. So it was, it was getting close to sunset anyways. And then we were there for, I don't know how long was it? It was it was over an hour. Yeah. So we're we're getting close to like six six thirty so, by the time we left. So on the way out, like I'm still doing the moose call <laughs> and the owl call, and then like I mean it was like dusk, so it was pretty you know hard to see. And then all of a sudden, like this flash goes in front of the car, and I'm like, Eric, stop the car! It was big flash. Yeah. Oh. But you didn't see it though. I didn't see it. No, I I saw it as it flew the second time, but I didn't I didn't see it the first when it first flew into the tree. So Eric stopped the car. We got out. We were like looking in this tree, you know, for for the flying moose. Yeah, for the flying moose. <laughs> <laughs> and then like it flashes away to another tree, and it was a great horned owl. Yeah. So that was exciting. It was. Don't it feel was a lot of those. The the owl call worked. Yelling owl out the window worked. The moose call does not work. Yeah. In my experience. Yeah, and the great horned owl. He he perched or she perched and was all about like just looking at us looking away looking at us looking at us. so i could get pictures of both the front of the head and the back of the head <laughs> so it was, it was very important to get both sides of the head yes that's what i've heard <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, then we spent the night in kennewick mm-hmm. and got up early the next morning and drove to umatilla national wildlife refuge which is um just, just across the border of uh, Oregon and Washington, right along the Columbia River. And it's actually comprised of five different units um, in the two states, and total is about 23,000 acres. So I was I, I was curious about that, because I, I saw a bunch, like I was looking at the just general map of the area, and the word Umatilla is all over the place, like Umatilla National Wildlife Refuge, this and that, all, just all over that whole region. So I, I, was, I was interested if they were all actually related. Mm. It turns out they are. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah answered that question for me. You're welcome. And so we went to the McCormick unit, um, which is kind of like the the more, you know, traveled unit. And that one is definitely all set up for duck hunting. They had like all of these sections. Like it's it's pretty much like a grassland or a shrubland. Mm -hmm. And then there was like a big pond 
on one side of it and going through the shrubland. And I don't know if it was geared towards like upland bird hunting or duck hunting or both. Uh, um, but there were these like offshoots that said like hunting blind or hunting area one through 20 or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and you had to have, um, you had to apply for permits to park in these different areas. If you, if you were there for hunting, we didn't end up driving down any of them. So I don't know if we needed it for just wildlife observation. But there's plenty of uh, plenty of road for us to drive, and plenty of stops just right along the main road that we didn't feel the need to go drive down to these hunting blinds. But it was also a very beautiful habitat. Um, we kind of got around the corner from the entrance and flushed out a rough grouse. Yeah, that was exciting. Like we we yeah we got out of the car and we were kind of oh no we flushed it from the car mm-hmm. and then we got out of the car and we tried to tried to refine it. And it I'm was, pretty sure you stomped on it. I <laughs> just didn't know. Maybe. I don't know. They're rough grouse are great at hiding. Like, and you, they won't flush until you're like, until it's in between your legs. And then all of a sudden it flies out from between your legs and it's, Oh my gosh. But yeah, that was, that was exciting. Um, had a lot of hawks hanging around rough legged, red tailed, uh, kestrels, um, Northern harriers, a bunch of Northern harriers, like yeah. probably the same two over and over and over, but, <laughs> but they were, they were a bunch of them. <laughs> um, so we probably went maybe a mile or two down, you know, through the sh- the shrub step habitat. And mm-hmm. then we got to the wetlands area. And, you know, I was looking through eBird and I was like trying to figure out like, okay, what species might we get here that we haven't already seen? And one of them was American tree robin, or a sparrow. Yeah. American tree robin. American tree robin. <laughs> American tree sparrow. <laughs> and so like... You know, as we've never seen that species before, and so we did some more research into it, and we looked at the sparrows a little bit harder, and you know, tried to figure out like the species because there was a lot of white crowns too, and yeah, lots of white crowns. There was mostly white crowns, <laughs> but we were able to tease out a couple of American tree sparrows. Yeah, so that that was exciting. They were, they were fl- flitting along the edge of one of the ponds. Um, kind of a mixed flock with uh, white crowns. There was, I think, there was some juncos in that in that flock too. Yeah. Um, but just at the first pond that we got to, it was kind of kind of exciting. Like, oh, a lifer, and I, I walked back and forth. I don't know for maybe a half hour, <laughs> like walk walking back and forth along the tree line, and they would hop out. I'd get my camera up, and then they would drop down. And so it was it was we could get looks at them, but nothing that was like clear enough to get a photo through the through the branches, unfortunately. But, but it's also a really interesting part yeah. too. They have a um, another trail or another driving path mm-hmm. that goes above the wetland area, and it's yeah. like a couple hundred feet up, maybe. And there was like a patio or a boardwalk out over it, yeah. and I could see that being an incredible place to watch like a hawk migration. Oh, really, really good hawk migration, I'm sure. But also like, if so, we got there fairly early in the morning. It was I don't remember what time it was. It was it was like eight or so, maybe something like that. And the, like, the geese were flying over like crazy, big, big flocks of geese flying over. I'm sure if we got there, like, right at sunrise and went up to that um, overlook, it would probably just be, like, awesome watching, not just, not just hawks, geese. but just watching geese fly over, like, in giant flocks. So that was, that was really interesting. Um, snow geese, greater white-fronted. Um, I don't know how many Canada geese were there, though. 
There might have been more than we put on the list. I'm not sure. Oh, and then <laughs> so before we got out to that that road that goes over the the lakes, mm-hmm. we were in another little section that had trees on one side and then like a wetland on the other side. And we parked the car and we were like looking around, and all of a sudden, all these quail come out. Oh, a whole and... flock! Like Hannah didn't see it. Didn't <laughs> like she was walking. I, I don't know if you're. Talking I saw on the one phone quail. Or... Yeah. It. There was a whole flock just, they, they walked it's out. It's called of, a bevy. A bevy. It's a bevy of quail. A, bevy. a whole herd of quail <laughs> walked out into the middle of the road and they looked at Hannah and she was maybe like 50 <laughs> feet away and she wasn't looking that direction. They, they all stand there and look the whole, the whole school of quail standing in the middle of the road so look, looking right at Hannah and then they walk away and then she turns around just to see the last one as it walks down. <laughs> it's like, oh, there was, there, there was like 90 of them there, Hannah. That whole, uh. The whole herd. Bevy. The whole school of <laughs> quail. We're all all right there in the middle of the road. And you missed them. <laughs> um, and I'm sure if we had visited some of the other units of that wildlife refuge, you know, we'd get a lot more geese. Because I think it, there's a couple sites that are, like, right along the river. Mm-hmm. And that's where some of these big groups of geese were headed to. Yeah. Um, so we were looking more at a wetland that was, you know, maybe a mile or so from the river. So we didn't get to see, you know, the huge groups. Yeah. So that was, that, that's a, that's a refuge that was pretty spectacular. And it's, I've, I've I'd seen. I'd like to go in the spring. Yeah, in the spring. I've seen so many really good lists there. We had almost 30 species, but the, um, I've seen lists that were like giant lists from that, from just in that region in the spring. So that's that would. Cool. That would be a really a really good place to visit in the spring for well, sure. And we were seeing like a lot of yellow rumps, um, which you know this is kind of the time of year when yellow rumps start to come out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I think it could be a really good site for like um, you know wayward warblers too, oh, for because sure. it's it's kind of like an oasis right yeah. with that. It's it's a there's a lot of farming area and a lot of just kind of wide open land, and then this ref this refuge and some of the other pockets of the refuge are fairly well treated in and w- like with a lot of water. So it's definitely something that, I mean, it's next to the river. So you've got the river water, but the, the, the stagnant water of the wetlands and the ponds, like very beneficial, I would imagine to, to warbler migration. So you can get some, some pretty cool stuff out there. That's, that's where they had not, not that specific refuge, but not far away, not far away was um, where the, the sharp tailed, the sharp tailed sandpiper. sandpiper. Yeah. The, the second sharp-tailed sandpiper that was in the state this year, it was over there in that area. So it's definitely a good refuge area, like a little hot spot for, for migrants and little trap area. So Well, and, the, you know, some of the benefit of these sites is that they're not far from each other. So it would be easy enough to, to visit one and then the next. Um, so, yeah, it would be a good day between, you know, at least Umatilla and Turnbull. Yeah. Kootenai is a bit further. Yeah, Kootenai was a long, a long drive away. I was, wasn't super close, but, but yeah, so those, the driving refuges, I think they're spectacular. I can't wait to go back to Turnbull again. I was going to ask what your favorite yeah. is. I, I think, I think Turnbull was my favorite out of the three. Umatilla is really good and uh, Kootenai was, was pretty good. Turnbull was fantastic though. Even though the species, I think we had the lowest species count at Turnbull that we had out of the three. I, I could go back. If, if we went back in the morning, I think we could get we could blow that species number out of the water, and then also maybe maybe we can see some moose. <laughs> that's I'm, I'm that's something I'd be really really want to go see. Kind of at the moment, I'm more worried about seeing northern shrike though, 
and we looked at all three refuges. Yeah. All three of them had had northern trikes in a reasonable time. Within like a week of us being there. And none. So that still remains to be our nemesis species at the moment. Yeah. And and no moose at any of them. No moose. Even <laughs> though we did the moose call. We did, I don't think we did the moose call at Umatilla. Well, I didn't think there'd be moose there. Yeah. There probably, there probably never has been moose I there. just really want to see one. They look, like, cool, and they look like they're just lumbering I, through. I mean, Like, full of limbs, you know? <laughs> I mean, we're used to seeing elk here in, in Cannon Beach. Elk, like, all over the place. But moose, like, I'm sure, like, double the size. Like, huge. So it's like it's like a white tail, and then double the size of that is a elk, elk and then double the size of that is a, a moose. moose. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you're, you're thinking, like, uh, elephants, like, half elephant, half giraffe sort of thing what? with with big horns <laughs> okay i feel like we've jumped the shark here All right, well that's that's enough of that that's so anyways um yeah we had a great time going to these three refuges it's really interesting to you know look at them all and see the differences in them um because they're all basically there you know refuges are all basically there for waterfowl hunting like just to get to its base yeah and the fact that they've, you know, kind of transformed how they've uh, been used. So, like, you know, what I said with the big six is that now they, some of them are focusing on environmental education and interpretation and giving them more of a purpose than, than just for waterfowl hunting. And so I always enjoy going to them. And it, it's hard for me to even think about somebody being there and hunting because, like, at Turnbull, um, I don't even know what you hunt there, <laughs> pretty I have no much. Idea. But I don't even know how you would, or I don't know. I don't like, know, there's some that are set is, up obviously for hunting. Yeah, hunting is. I mean, honestly, is a really foreign concept for how it would actually take place in, for you in, and me. Yeah, for you and me, like in one of these refuges, like we just go there for observations. Yeah, so. I've never seen somebody do it. I've never, yeah, I've never seen somebody hunt at a refuge. I'm people do obviously, yeah, but I've never actually seen it happen. Yeah. Now, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, three great refuges to check out. One's in Idaho, one's in Washington, and one's in Oregon. And, you know, I'm sure that you have a refuge near you that is a fantastic location too. So um, if I haven't in the past, encourage you to go out and explore it. You know, these all three of these locations that we went to are free. Mm -hmm. So we didn't need the duck stamp and we didn't need to pay the, you know, $5 entry fee or anything like that. Of course, we're perfectly willing to if um if that's the case yeah absolutely pay our fair share but they're fantastic birding locations and just really interesting places to see especially since most of them are fairly natural like turnbull is definitely like a natural landscape yeah there, um, there was a there was a developed uh visitor center and then that was it the rest of it was just that gravel road well and kootenai is you know was very not developed and very um had a lot of human impacts on it like mm -hmm. there were farming areas like that they specifically farmed i don't remember what kind of plant it was um there's a bunch of different types of grasses and stuff that were growing so there was like um there was a section that was growing uh sorghum there was another section that was growing something else now that i'm trying to think of some of them were uh like actual crops that, that looked like they were going to be harvesting them i think most of them were um just to create feed for for the geese. For the geese that are going to be there soon. Yeah, and the, I mean, that's what's so different about some of these places that Kootenai is putting an effort towards, you know, trying to provide food for these these things. But then at Turnbull, it's like, well, you're on your own. We know there's food out there. <laughs> there's food There's food, and then 
And then wetlands. And then mills. <laughs> Not fish, though. No, no fish in those wetlands. Um, yeah, so we like going to refuges. We really like auto tours, um, if that's an option. So, yeah, send us your favorite, you know, wildlife refuge. Yeah. Because there's, like, what, like 400? No, there's got to be more than 400. That would have been a good number to look up before starting recording. Probably. Um, <laughs> there's hundreds of them. I feel pretty safe in saying that. Uh, we've been to a handful of them, and I... That's the kind of place I like going birding. Yeah. So thank you guys all for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else that you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding. On, on Instagram. On Instagram. Um, you can follow our Facebook page, Hannah and Eric Go Birding. You can uh, follow our Twitter at We Go Birding. Um, you can email us, hannanerigobirding at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, www.gobirdingpodcast.com. And just tell us what you liked, tell us what you hated, and share us with your friends. And also just be nice. Yeah. Not to us necessarily, no. just to everybody. No, just be nice yeah. in general. <laughs>